Well, hello, Westwood family. My name is Ben. A special welcome to everybody across all of Westwood's campuses. I serve in the near ministry at Westwood and honored to bring today's message. We're in Matthew 13. Errol just read that for us. I want to share a quick prayer before we dive into it, if you would join me. Lord, as we open your word and we talk about a tough truth, a tough word even to kind of unpack and apply, I, I ask, Lord, that you would soften our hearts to your spirit that you would speak and move in this. And Lord, you who are King of kings and Lord of lords would give us what we need. Maybe it's not what we want, but what we need from you today. In your name I pray, amen, amen. Well, as we dive into this passage today, I just wanna say right up front, this is not an easy one. In fact, this is an uncomfortable passage. And we, we don't tend to talk about this a lot in church, uncomfortable things. Like think, think about new member class. We don't come to a new member class and say, so, you know, coffee is down the hallway. Here's, here's our kids and our program to make sure that your kids are all safe. And we welcome you on an unsafe journey of following Jesus with us, right? We welcome you into uncomfortably following Jesus in sacrificial ways. So that's, we usually don't talk about that way, it, that way. But here's the, here's the case. Here's the truth. The Bible does talk about it that way. Jesus says to pick up your cross and follow me. It says to follow him is not easy. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. Now, listen, we live in a culture that tells us that comfort is the ultimate pursuit. Would you agree with that? Now, here's the irony. If you pursue comfort, you almost never find contentment. Do you agree? Yet the irony is if you, it, it, the road to contentment is often filled with uncomfortable things. Like, like they're different. And so I don't want us to come here today and say, well, only do comfortable things. We're only seeking after comfort because, man, comfort leads to apathy. We, we live in the here and, and not yet. Like, this is not our, 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 our long-term home. Heaven is. This is a war zone. You don't set up a lawn chair in a war zone. <laughs> you want a muscle to grow? What do you do? You make it uncomfortable. You stretch it. You move it. And so today we're going to go into some uncomfortable, some uncomfortable truths, but I pray that it stretches us and helps us to grow. And so with that, there are, there are two questions that uh, I'm just going to use as the frame for today's message. And these are two questions that are really good to ask when you are reading into scripture. And the first one is this, what does this passage say about who God is? Now notice the starting point here is who is God? How many of us, when we go to read the Bible, it's often going, God, I got this going on. I need this thing. And we just kind of do the open it up and God, you're miraculously going to give me the passage I need for the thing I'm going through today. Anybody else do that? We tend to go to the word and say, okay, what do I need? Instead of God, what does this simply just tell me about who you are? And then after looking at who he is, the second question we're going to dive into is, now what does this passage mean for us? In light of number one, we look at number two. So, so with that, we're gonna dive right into the passage here. And so uh, let's just bring it up, the first part. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. So the kingdom of heaven is, uh, this is a kingdom parable. It's one of seven that come in a row in Matthew chapter 13. So Jesus is making some points about the kingdom. But what is the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven, the simplest way to say it, is Jesus' kingship in our lives now and for eternity. Because Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is here. So the kingdom of heaven is what does it look like for him to be king? 
And then he says, it's like a man, so a metaphor, who sows good seed in his field. So uh, he tells us uh, a little bit later in Matthew 13, he breaks down this parable, and he said, he's the man who sows good seed. And good seed are those who follow him as king, follow his teachings. So that's the good seed. Then let's move on here. Next part. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. So this is actually a, not an uncommon thing to have happen uh, in ancient times. In fact, there were rules against it in Rome where somebody would come and spread weeds among somebody else's wheat. But here's the challenge. On the surface, you couldn't tell the difference between the weed and the wheat until they sprouted. In other words, they looked exactly the same. And here's the question we need to ask, an uncomfortable question as we dive into this passage, is, is what is real and what is fake? So I've got a, I've got a whole bunch of lemons here. I, didn't, I wasn't able to bring wheat. And I even tried to get Vicky to bring diamonds. What's the difference between a real diamond and a cubic zirconia? But, but, and she was willing to do it, but we backed off. We went with, we went with lemons. Um, and the reason is because on the surface, it's really hard to tell which one is fake and which one is real. And sometimes the one that looks the most real is actually fake or vice versa. And so the question here that I want us to start asking is, do I fall into the wheat category or the weed category, the fake or the real in my following of Jesus? So let's continue the passage. It goes on like this. The owner's servants came to him and they said, sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? And he's like, yes, I did. So where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. Now look what happens next. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull all those weeds out? No, 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 he says. Because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. So there's an opportunity. Do you want us to go meticulously through and see what's weed and what's wheat and pull those weeds out? And he says, no, don't do it because I care too much about the wheat to harm it by pulling it out. There's a compassion in there. So with that said, I told you we were gonna come at it from this angle. So the question that we're asking first is what does this passage tell us about who God is? And the first thing it tells us is this, that Jesus is the king. So this is the first uncomfortable point that I'm making. And you might be thinking, that's not uncomfortable to me. Like if I were to ask most of you as you're entering worship or flipping online or whatever it was today and said, do you think, do you believe Jesus to be your king? Many of us, if not most of us would say, yes, well, yes, he is. But do you really know what it is to have a king? And Jesus, that means he's the ultimate authority. His yes is yes, his no is no. What he says goes, no matter what you might want, his way overrules you. It's kind of like my wife jokingly said to me once, I will follow you as long as you go where I want to go. <laughs> I mean, don't some of us say that to Jesus? Jesus, uh, you're my king. I follow you anywhere as long as you go where I want to go. Right? And, and there's so much... So much more to it. So years ago, uh, when I was at the seminary, they uh, had a speaker come in to teach us how to be good humans, I guess. So it had things like hygiene, like clean your nose before serving communion. I mean, everybody wants their pastor to do that, right? But we're not gonna tell them. 
uh, all these little things. But one of the things they told us, which I just I found fascinating, is uh, they said at some point, it's just this lovely little old woman is going to come up to you and just want a tight, close hug. And, and they said, and that's, I think that's going to be inappropriate. And so we're going to teach you how to defend against that. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> defend against little women and their hugs. <laughs> so they said, when she's coming up to you, you just put out a nice stiff arm and side hug. Stiff arm, side hug. And I'm not even kidding. They actually had to stand up and practice this. All right, I'm coming in for the hug. Oh, and side hug. Now, maybe you're wondering where I'm going with this, but by the way, I am okay with hugs. I mean, maybe, there might be a point where it gets inappropriate. If we go over 10 seconds, we'll call that inappropriate, all right? But we're good with hugs. But here's the point I'm making. A lot of us in our relationship with Jesus, our king, are like, Jesus, you're my king, but oh, only this far, and could you just stay right here? Oh, God, Jesus, you're my king. Oh, unless I really want to go this direction, and I'm just going to keep you at a distance. And, and I, I got to let, I, I just got to say it. There is no such thing as a part-time king of your life. It isn't like Jesus is the king of my life when it's, when it's convenient for me. No, he either is or he isn't. His will supersedes yours or it doesn't. And doesn't this war against us? It's uncomfortable, especially us Americans, right? We live in a democracy. We all have a voice, right? So maybe think of this less like our government system and think of it more like the government system in your house. Because in my house, it's not a democracy. Is yours? I mean, how many of you parents, like, uh, like it, let's just say hypothetically, my daughter buys her own box of cereal and I eat it all. That's okay in my domain, right? Who's with me? Anybody? Yeah, I, I figured I'd be losing that one either way. But, but how many parents have said this? Like you, you say no, you say we're not going to do that, and what do you hear back over and over and over a thousand times? Why? Well, why not? Well, why not? Well, I just explained it to you in a four-point PowerPoint, son, and <laughs> it's still a no, right? And the answer is for them is still why. And ultimately, don't you get to the point where you just say, because I'm your dad, or mom, or whatever it is. Isn't anybody else said that? Anybody received that? Yeah. It, like, you may not understand it, but you're gonna live with it because in my house, it's not a democracy. And that, that God, Jesus is king. It's not a democracy. And that is an uncomfortable truth, isn't it? But here's what's so good about it. Jesus is a good king, which means his yeses and his noes are better than what our yeses and our noes would be. I mean, in my house, sometimes I say yes to my kids because I trust them. Sometimes I say no to them because I love them. I'm actually protecting them even though they don't see it that way. And can we receive that kind of direction from our Lord and King who might just see a little bit more than we do even when we don't understand it? Yeses, thank you, Lord. Noes, I trust you, Lord, for your king and I'm not. An uncomfortable truth. Uh, the second uncomfortable truth that this passage brings to us about who God is, is this, that God is the judge. The, the, the like the Ohio State, you know, like the judge. And uh, if you have, it, 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 the reason I think this is so hard for us is because we want to be the judge. But we're not. He is. 
I mean, how many have heard this from someone uh, either publicly or even privately, a friend of yours say, well, I just can't believe in a God who would fill in the blank. Like, wait a second, when did God's existence become, become dependent on whether you chose to believe in him or not? Like, like that's, that's really assuming a lot on your ability to judge. Well, God exists because I like what he does. He doesn't exist if I don't like what he does. Like, no, God, God is, it's immutable. He is, period. Whether you believe in him or not, he is. My road to faith was seeing the immensely powerful and complex creation of this world and universe that we live in and going, there must be a higher power and finding down that road, Jesus, my savior. He is, and he's the judge. And, and let me just say, people, we are terrible judges. We just are. Can you just tell the person next to you, you're a terrible judge. Yeah, and, and you know what? It feels bad to say that, so just give him a side hug. You're a terrible judge, side hug. Yeah, we are. We're terrible judges because we can only see so much. We see the surface. God sees everything. He sees it all. So, so just as a little bit of an example, um, so uh, my son uh, turned 21, had to get a new uh, driver's license, and so he goes to the DMV. And, and just for context, here's a, here's a picture of my son, right? So, you know, we see a picture, we immediately make judgments, but hey, he's a pretty good-looking, nice young man, don't you think? Yep. Yep, yeah, thank you. Hey, clap for him. <laughs> Nate, if you're watching, yep. All right, so, so this is my son, and, and he goes to the DMV, and I give you that picture for context because he had all his paperwork. He was all ready to go, but the woman behind the counter said, I am really sorry, but I cannot give you a license today. He's like, well, why? I said, well, because your hair is in front of your face. I mean, that's his haircut. You saw it, right? Your hair is in front of your face, and then, no joke, this is what she said. If you get pulled over and, and a cop is looking at that picture, the, the police officer is just not going to know what they're dealing with. I mean, your hair is your face. So he's like, well, what are, I got to get my, I, gotta, I need a license, right? Mine's expired, right? So, so what do I do? So ultimately, this is how it ended. This is my son's driver's license photo. <laughs> yep. So the police officer will know what they're dealing with. Let's just get that mug shot out of the way right now. <laughs> what? I mean, isn't that funny though? You see a photo and we make judgments. I mean, we, he, he went from nice young man to mad scientist. <laughs> we see the surface. God sees so much, so much, so much more. And the truth be told, um, Truth be told, we really are bad judges and we are deceitful people. Can we just be honest about that? Uh, there's a guy who wrote a book called What Everybody Is Saying. And it was a thing about reading body language. He was an FBI investigator. Um, and he says this, he goes, your face is never reliable for telling if somebody's lying or not. I mean, there are little things you can do, but he said from childhood on, we learn how to deceive people with our face. What you see here is rarely an indication of really what's going on here. We're really good at deceit. He said, he, he actually said, one of the best indicators of how, where, where somebody is at is their feet. And just as an example, and you can think about this later, when you're in a conversation with somebody, if their feet are pointed at you, then they're engaged in the conversation, they wanna keep it going, most likely. But if their feet are pointed at the door and their face is pointed at you, what they're actually telling you is that I'm ready to leave 
but I'm politely continuing in conversation. Or parents, you'll see one foot pointed at you, one foot pointed at their child, little kid, wherever they might be because their attention is divided. So he said, your feet often tell you something. So how many of you in here right now or, or online are even going, well, what are my feet telling you right now? Well, some of you want to leave. Yes, I see this. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we, we have learned to be deceitful. We, we are, it is really hard to judge, not only when reading other people, but also in reading ourselves in what is right and wrong. I mean, here's the favorite saying of our culture. You probably know it. When somebody comes to a hard decision, this is the movie trope. We hear it. We say it all the time. Just follow your heart. We hear that all the time. Listen, what does the word of God say about our hearts? It is deceitful above all else. Just follow your heart? I mean, that's, that's like saying, hey, I've got this new diet. It's amazing. I just follow my tongue. <laughs> Whatever tastes good, I eat, and I eat it until I, it doesn't taste good anymore. And a few of you here are like, that is my diet. <laughs> right? We all know that's not a healthy way to go. Just follow your heart is not a healthy thing to go because we are terrible judges and our society is desperately struggling with this because everybody wants to be the judge and change the line on what's right and wrong. Don't we hear this all the time? What was right even 10 years ago in our society is wrong today. What's right today is gonna be wrong 10 years because people keep moving the line. We, I'm telling you, are not the judge. God is. And his line will stand. One day we will all stand before him and he is the judge. We are all accountable to him. Now this is where, frankly, it gets really uncomfortable. We don't like this part, but it's the truth. With him as the judge, we stand under his standard, which is a lot higher than yours and mine. Here's an aha I got with this passage. And I'll just tell you, I wrestled with putting this message together and part of it was understanding this. What, what is real and what's fake? Who is, the, who is the wheat and who is the weed? How do I tell the difference between them? How do I know who is who? And this aha moment struck me. See, if the, if the wheat is those who follow King Jesus and he's Lord and the weed is those who have evil in their hearts, there's some really convicting thing about that statement, isn't there? Who in here can say they don't have any evil or fakeness in their heart? And let them cast the first lemon. I'm just kidding. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> that, that was not in the script. Who in here can say you don't have any evil in you? Here's the aha, super convicting part, portion of this scripture is that if we're really looking as God as the judge and Jesus as the king and he's, dis he's moving wheat to one side and weeds to the other, all of us have weeds in our hearts. That is extremely convicting. Because what I want to be is like, well, I am on the side of the weeds and I can tell you some people that I know definitely have weeds in their heart. No, it's all of us. And that's why this third point from this passage is incredibly important. And it is this, that God is not only, Jesus is not only the king, God is not only the judge, but God is gracious. Notice in the passage, he waits for the harvest. Just, he desires everyone to come to a saving faith. Uh, let me share this from Romans chapter six. For the wages of sin is what? Death. 
But the gift, and another passage says, free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. Sin by its very nature creates distance. Like we, we, we like to think of sin in terms of like what's right and wrong, but let's think of it in terms of relationship. Sin creates distance and sin creates a distance between us and God. If, I'm the, if right now I were to just walk up to you and slap you in the face, what would be your response? Side hug? No? Yeah, yeah, it ouch. Some of you would want to fight back. All of you would be like, what? Wounded? Very few of us would be like, well, I... I love you and I, I want to care for you, right, in this moment. But think about Jesus. While he was literally having nails pounded into his wrists, what did he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Like while sin at its worst was being done to him, he was offering grace and that grace is tremendous and extended to all of us. So we have to, in this passage, realize that we all have a an evil problem in our own hearts. And we need to all realize Jesus is our hope and our savior, the gracious one whom we lean on. And my goodness, I'm so thankful for his his grace, aren't you? Wow, wow. Man, he's so good. And so so hear this, this this quote. uh, For we should read the Bible through the lens of relationship and reconciliation instead of rules and regulations. I'm gonna say it again. We should read the Bible through the lens of relationship and reconciliation instead of rules and regulations. If we're reading it through rules and regulations, we're just looking around and judging, well, you've got some, you've got weeds going on and you've, you're wheat and there's good and there's evil and none of us stand up to the standard. But when we understand that the Bible is God calling people back into a reconciled relationship with him, then we see it differently. Because if it's rules and regulations, the the prodigal son parable makes no sense. Because the prodigal son comes back, he has literally said to his father, you're dead to me, I just want your inheritance. Squanders it, comes back, and what does his father do? Welcome him with a full hug, no stiff arm, brings him home. Wow! He, does, he deserves everything for break, all the punishment for breaking the rules and instead he is reconciled in relationship. What, is, what does God say to the people of Israel in the Old Testament? If you would just repent and turn to me over and over again. Why does God wait? Even in 1 Peter it tells us he's waiting. It's same as this passage. He's waiting so that more might know him. He is gracious beyond gracious beyond gracious. And so... So what then does this mean for us? That is the this last question here. What does this mean for us? And two things. The first is this, that we should worship more and worry less. So hear me. If Jesus is the king, all-powerful, I mean, it says everything stands and falls and he holds everything together. Like, we should trust him more. I think of the passage uh, Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Anybody know that? Does a song immediately come to your head if you've been around church? You heard that? Your word is a lamp to my feet. Think about a lamp. Have you ever been out in pitch dark and just had like a candle lit lamp? How far are you gonna see? Maybe a few steps. Like that passage actually kind of frustrates me because I wanna be like, Lord, your word is a floodlight to my path. It is like sunlight to my future. No, it's a lamp. Like, I can't see everything. I just see what you're doing right now, Lord. But that's enough. 
I worship you, you're the king, and I trust you. I worry less because I trust you more. So that's, that's one outcome that should come from really seeing who God is and who Jesus is in this passage. The second one is this, that we should examine our hearts. That we should be examining our hearts. And here, here's where we come down and say, are you in the category, where is the, where is the weeds, where are the wheat in my own heart? And I, I struggled with how to close this message today. And ultimately, I landed on this. The best way to close this is to just talk about how this passage has specifically affected me. Y'all probably don't think about this very often, but man, I can't imagine where my faith would be if I wasn't a preacher. Being, being, being in the word, the word has to do its work on you or I really don't believe you can be an effective teacher. Except we are all deceitful, aren't we? So, so I, I know a guy when I was in St. Louis who started a church and I uh, hung out at that church in the early days and uh, after we left, that church just grew. Massive church, influential church, influential pastor, lots of respect for him. Had a failure. Not the moral failure, but like the, the character failure. And the character failure removed him from his seat as pastor. And he woke up one day to the newspaper being on the front page of the newspaper in his city talking about his removal for poor character as a leader. Talk about being in a broken place. So after that, I was in a small group where he was talking about this and working through these things and he said this is, this is what had happened to him. So in the book of Ezekiel, it talks about how Ezekiel takes the scroll, the word of God, eats it and ingests it. And this is what this pastor said. He said, I was chewing on the word of God and then bringing it back out for other people but never ingesting it into my own heart. He grew a massive church doing that. Tons of respect and ultimately his character was not affected by the word and it caused great failure. So here's what this passage did to me. It made me go, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be a performer. I don't want to be one who says it, but it isn't inwardly digested in my heart. I don't want to be one who, who's got fake fruit. And here's the convicting thing. I, I do, just like you do. This passage ultimately has to convict every one of us. Because if I go, I'm just going to do better and I'll be a, I will not have any deceitfulness in me at all, that is not going to happen. You can't. This passage, if you truly get it, can only drive you to one place, complete helplessness and thank God that he's the one who helps us. This passage drives us to the place of saying this simple phrase, two-word prayer, Lord, help me. And this is how I wanna drive us now to just think about praying, Lord, help me and bring it home with this prayer. Because if you're going, am I, am, I, am I fake or am I real? The fake is in me. That Lord, I surrender my life to you. I trust you as my savior and follow you as the king. If you are resting on your ability to not be fake, you won't be able to. If you are resting on Jesus' ability to make you a new creation, oh man, there's nothing better. This passage has to drive us all to that point. God is the judge, Jesus is the king. We need him, we can trust him. When we do, we worship more, we worry less. And we should all examine our hearts and pray, Lord, I surrender to you. My life, 
everything. You are my savior and my king. So would you stand and join me in that prayer now? Lord, just cry out to you for help. The desperate cry of broken people. And I do ask, Lord, that you would help convict all of us of just how helpless we are without you. And Lord, that we would turn to you, cry out to you, confess, Lord, that you are our savior and our king and that we follow you, Jesus. Lord, would you work something new in our hearts? Would you weed our hearts and make us a new creation in your sight? In your name and for your glory alone, I pray. Amen.